RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, my friends. How are you guys? Uh, I don't even know what episode this is. I think we're at like 44 or something like that. I don't even know why I tell you guys what episode it is. It doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares except for the producers. Um, But uh, we are a couple of weeks into the new year, and it has been just a crazy – a uh, couple of weeks, like just again, travel and running around. I was in, uh, I, you know, last week I talked about being in North Carolina. What I didn't talk about was I didn't talk about being in LA. Um, I flew from North Carolina uh, up to LA to actually, you know what? Hold on. I'm going to back up for a second. I just realized that I was in Orlando. I went to Orlando because every now and then, every couple of years, I get to the opportunity to go and do demonstrations for. Um, for General Electric, uh, for their appliance division. So uh, I do, I do these crazy like six demos a day, five different dishes that I put out of three pieces of equipment, and I did. Uh, so I work with the Advantium, which is this crazy oven. It cooks fifteen times faster than a conventional oven, and the reason why is because it cooks with halogen light, as well as microwave energy and convection. I also work with this really cool like precision cooking wall oven that it's all pre-programmed. Like the recipes are already in there for what you need to do. It's really kind of cool the way that it works. And then of course like induction, this really awesome induction cooktop, which they've created. By the way, I'm going to sniffle. I'm just going to let you know. You guys can hear it in my voice. I'm already sick. Uh, I've got a 101 degree fever today. Um, I am staring at a bottle of water. I'm staring at uh, a 60 – uh, 89 fluid ounces of uh, of orange juice. And then next to that, I've got Dayquil. So I'm going to be drinking a lot of stuff today. I ended up at the doctor this morning because I had 101 fever and I'm trying to knock it out of me. So I've canceled some appointments this afternoon, but we're really cool because we get to have a couple – like I wanted to get these shows done today. So this is actually uh, – this is – I'm sick as shit. Let's just leave it at that, Okay. Damn planes, dirt balls spewing shit in the air, and I'm gonna look like a Chinese person uh, with a mask on my face this week because I got I can't deal with this shit. So, and I've got an appearance at Mohegan Sun that I'm doing, and I'm a week ahead because we're doing two shows today, and I'm not making any sense. But here's what we're gonna do: I'm gonna talk to you about my GE because I went down with my buddy Nick Liberato. Uh, who did pizzas while we were down there. And one of the coolest things that we get to do while we're down there is, ready for this, we get to hang out with fucking Martin Yan. Yan can cook. This guy is brilliant, and he's going to be on the show. We're going to get him on the show in the next couple of weeks. Um, He has over 3,500 episodes under his belt of PBS, and he owns every single show he's ever done. He has 42 cookbooks, if I'm not mistaken. It's either 32 or 42. We were boozing. Um, Nick Liberato and I were boozing. Martin wasn't as much. He was drinking orange juice, I believe. So he was getting sick too. Um, Yeah, there it is. There's the sniffle right there. But uh, we just had a great week, man. You know, just banging it out of the park. I got to work with this super cool, like innovative equipment. I did a sous vide ribeye one day. Um, 
I did a filet every day wrapped in bacon. I did a scallop dish. I did a pasta dish. We did cookies. And they're really, really fun videos with this new, just super cool, innovative equipment. But So that was Orlando. Went out to a couple of great uh, – no, you know what? I didn't go out to a couple of great restaurants because the restaurants fucking sucked. All right? And I'm going to call them out. I'll call them out right now. Everybody who's listening to this, Eddie V. Eddie V's restaurant in Orlando sucked. Okay, I hate to say it. I don't ever call people out on what it is that they've done in their restaurants because it's just not fair. Everybody has a down day. Everybody has a mistake. But this was a culture problem. Um, We walked in and we sat down and uh, we sat at the bar and we waited for like eight minutes, ten minutes before somebody actually came over to us. And when they finally did, and it was like 9.30, this wasn't a 7.30 rush in the middle of a convention while 80,000 people were down there because this was like 9.30. Uh, There was hardly anybody in the restaurant. The restaurant had pretty much cleared out. Um, Most of the people had dropped their expense accounts. They they, they cashed out, man. They were gone. They were out of the restaurant by this point. We got bad fucking oysters. Um, I got a ribeye that was completely overcooked. Uh, We never got napkins. We never got silverware. We never got bread. It was like the basic shit that you're supposed to get when you're sitting down to eat dinner. Now, granted, we were sitting at the bar, but it was just bad, man. I'm really – I was very disappointed and and I've been there before and I've had good meals there, which is one of the reasons why we went. We wanted a steakhouse, but I will tell you this, that uh, I was was not happy at all. I was really very disappointed – it just wasn't good, and and I, and that sucks because it's a great and everybody that like we had talked to, they're like, oh my god, where'd you guys go to dinner last night? I'm like, oh, we went to Eddie V's, and they were like, oh my god, it's awesome. And I was like, well, last night it wasn't. So our bartender was just not friendly, uh, just didn't want to have any really anything to do with us. It was like we sat around and waited. Our appetizers, oysters, took like thirty minutes to come out, and, and there was nobody in the place. So. Whatever. I, I don't want to harp on that. It just sucked, and, and that's a shame. But we actually ended up going to uh, – we were staying at the Rosen Shingle Creek uh, Hotel, which is this beautiful property, huge, beautiful property with a golf course attached to it. And then there's a restaurant there uh, that's called like the Land Before Time or something like that. Fucking awesome bartender. This guy was great. The whole staff was on fire. I ended up going there twice for dinner, uh, because it was just where we went. So most of the times I go down to Orlando, I don't have really good meals. Um, I've had some good ones, but I just, you know, just wasn't what I expected. So, uh, but we had fun, uh, being with Nick was awesome and all that stuff. Oh my God. Hey, I, I'm going to mute this for five seconds, guys. Cause I got, hold on. Okay. I'm back. There we go. Just had to do, had to do some upkeep to the body with the one-on-one fever. Um, but so so after GE, I went to North Carolina, and then I was in LA with Michael Tips. Uh, we had to do some pickups for Bar Crashers, uh, which I'm gonna have Michael on in the next two weeks. We're gonna explain what Bar Crashers is to everybody. Um, I'll tell you real quick. Bar Crashers is a really cool, fun show that focuses on the positive aspects of this business, not the nasty fucking yelling and screaming that we've all dealt with for all these years. Um, I'm tired of people. Um, making fun of places. I am tired of the drama that goes on in these places. And that's all that we focus on. There are way too many operators out there that are doing an amazing job that people can learn from without focusing on the negative aspects of things. I know I just talk shit on a restaurant, but guess what? It was probably just a really bad experience for them. And they were probably just overwhelmed with the crew that came in and having 80,000 people in the town. It sucked. It just was a shame. Uh, we paid our bill. We left. We left a nice tip. It just wasn't a great experience. And, and shit happens. But there's a, a, an unbelievable amount of operators out there that do really, really good shit. And that's what we're looking for. So 
So that's what I have to say about that. And then Mohegan Sun Wine Festival. The be- probably one of the greatest chef events uh, for me that I really that I I just love this event every year and this year uh, you know hanging out with Jason Santos and you know uh, we we you know, he and I have a little bit of rivalry going on uh, actually while this is airing uh, Jason and I will be on the Today Show um, going against each other because he's a Boston guy and I'm a Philly guy so we're gonna do a little competition up there in New York. Um, which is going to be airing right this second. So pause the podcast and turn on the Today Show if it's 9.30 or 9 o'clock. Um, I have a little surprise uh, that's already planned in my head because obviously I'm taping this show a little bit before we do that. But uh, Mohegan Sun Wine Festival, Jason Santos and Kev D and Chris Coombs and um, just amazing chefs up there. Michelle Ragusas and uh, a little – somebody you guys might know known as Snoop Dogg. But here's my deal, and this is going to lead me into our next guest. Here's my deal. All I want to do is smoke some weed with Snoop. You know, just a quick like, you know, hey, Snoop, let me get a puff off your off your, your J there, buddy. Let me hit that bowl. Show me the bong. Let's go. That's what I want to do. That is a bucket list item for me. Uh, it's something that I want to do. Uh, but uh, so I'll let you guys know what happens. If you see a picture of me and Snoop together, chances are I smoke some weed. I'm just going to let you know. And speaking of weed. I have a gentleman who's going to be on the show in just a couple seconds. Uh, His name is David Denenberg, and he owns a company called Kind Financial. Uh, David and I actually know each other from uh, middle school and elementary school. Uh, We grew up in the same area of Philadelphia. Um, He moved out to L.A. about four years ago, and that's where he lives now. Um, So I'm not going to go too crazy with any of this stuff because I just want you guys – it's going to be pretty informative about why David does what he does and what he did. He's also a very – intelligent man. Uh, my research on him has, has spanned pretty far. Um, he's a very intelligent dude and it's kind of cool because he's a friend of mine from years ago. And as we all grow up in this world and we part ways and we go in different directions and we have different lives, we all kind of reconnect sometimes. And, and I'm glad to have reconnected with David. Um, family man lives in LA. He's been married for 17 years. He's got two boys and he's done some pretty cool stuff. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor, and I want you to, you all know what I'm going to say, uh, turn it up. Uh, sometimes we curse. I'm no stranger. Uh, get the kids out of the room, uh, and, and welcome to Duffified Live, uh, my buddy. Yeah, my buddy from many years ago, David Denenberg. Dave, before we get started, why don't you uh, why don't you tell everybody, first off, welcome, and I'm so glad uh, that we've reconnected. I'm really stoked about that, and I'm pissed that I didn't we didn't do it when I was in L.A. last week. It's probably only been what? We graduated high school in 1990, right? Uh, yeah, 89, 90. Yeah. yeah. It was a long it's time ago, dude. Been a long time. Shit. Um, tell us, tell, tell everybody, one, who you are and what you do. <clears throat> well, my name is David Dinnenberg. I'm originally from Philadelphia. I moved to Los Angeles about five years ago. And I did that to start a company called, um, at the time it was called Kind Banking. It is now called um, Kind Financial. And really, we're a regulatory technology company for the legal cannabis industry. We provide uh, compliance, uh, inventory controls, point of sale, uh, basically track and trace for the legal cannabis industry. We also do it for uh, government. We right now regulate the state of Rhode Island. Um, We're also partners in a banking solution company, which provides uh, technology and compliance to uh, financial institutions, banks, that are interested in participating in the the cannabis space. And we're working on a product right now that we hope to bring to market 
uh, first in Canada and then the United States sometime in 2018 called KindPay, which will, I guess for explanation's sake, will be the PayPal for the cannabis space. Wow. That's awesome, dude. What, what, like, what got you to the, what, what, what made you get into that world? It's a great question. Um, I wish I could just say I was really smart, but that's not the truth. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a, I was a real estate developer in the Philadelphia area for, for several, several years. We did very well. Um, during the 2000, two, 2007, 2008 crash, real estate crash, um, I had a lot of personal exposure and um, made, it, made several bad decisions and really was starting my life over. So, you know, I, I stayed with my partner until 2012 um, in, in the real estate company. And right. once, we, once we were both comfortable that it was going to last, and it's still around today, by the way, um, you know, I felt comfortable that I could leave and really try to reemerge and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, in the fall of 2013, my wife and I were watching uh, one of our favorite shows, 60 Minutes, and they did, a, they did a segment on the emergence of the medical marijuana industry. Uh, at that time, it was, I don't know, uh, 16 states and less than a billion dollars in revenue. And, you know, there was like a 10-second piece that if you coughed, you would have missed it. But, you know, what I heard them say was all cash, no credit cards, right. no financial structure, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I... It really started out, Brian, as a research project. I really didn't understand how states could legalize something at the state level and yet have these, you know, federal discrepancies. That's um, crazy. Meaning the fact that, you know, obviously, even still today, it's federally illegal. So it started out as a research project, and, and then I wrote what I would call uh, an executive summary. I wouldn't even give it the credit of calling it a business plan. And you know, it was really just my thoughts on, on you know, how crazy this is, what, what the whole, you know, what's missing. And, you know, I showed it to a bunch of people in Philadelphia. Thankfully, I was very well connected in the, in the banking world. Being a real estate guy, you have to borrow a lot of money. And, you know, a bunch of them were like, wow, this is never even heard of this. This is something that we should be working on and actually got a couple offers of, of, of financing uh, in Philly. And, you know, my, at that point, and, and the truth is the truth. So at that point, my wife and I were, li were living, you know, we were basically broke. Our house was in foreclosure. Wow. Uh, you know, we have two kids at that point, they were young, but we still had two, we still had them. And, you know, yeah. it was like, you know, here's 20 bucks, here's 30 bucks. Let's make it wait. Let's make it last a couple of days. And, you know, I got offered a million dollars for over half of the company and, and I turned it down. My wife thought I was crazy, but you know, if the first offer was that strong, then, then I really knew I was onto something. And, right. you know, I, I continued looking for that funding source and eventually found a group to, to, do the initial seed round, and that enabled us to really, you know, start our life over. And part of starting our life over, um, both emo emotionally, physically, and just, you know, quite frankly, I felt like I owed my wife something. Um, you know, she stuck by me through all these, you know, tough times and poor decisions I made, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, she really wanted to shock to put a shock to our system and, and move. So uh, we ended up moving to Los Angeles. And uh, ever since, you know, July of 2014 or July of 2013, I'm sorry. It's just been uh, head down and, and trying to get this, the problems in the industry solved. Well, and one of the things that, that got me was, I guess you guys were endorsed by Microsoft. Yeah. So um, like I said earlier, we're in the software business. And then uh, I, I, one of my board members actually from Philadelphia made an introduction to 
uh, the Microsoft relationships that he had. And, um, you know, fast forward about nine months um, in, in, the, in June of 2016, uh, we became a, 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 it's called an ISV. It's basically a managed company inside of the Health and Human Services Division of Microsoft. And uh, it was crazy, Brian. I mean, you know, I, I knew it was going to be big news. Right. Um, I, I don't think anyone would have guessed how big of the news it was. We were on the front page of, of the New York Times, and it was global <laughs> news because it was really the first Fortune 50 company to, to really enter this space. And, you know, whether they fully entered the space or not, you know, they, they work with us on, on our platform. They work with us in obtaining government contracts. We have access to technology consultants and help. And it's really been an amazing partnership. And, and, and uh, you know, I've said to everybody that asked me, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens to kind, obviously we hope it's a, it's a success and it's here for a long time. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, one day when they teach the legalization of marijuana, I'm sure the Microsoft announcement is going to be on that timeline. So yeah. to make that kind of impact in an emerging Industry is something that I take a lot of a lot of pride in, and, and really humbled by the whole thing. Yes. So now, what exactly is it that that kind does? I mean, I mean, like, I mean, I, I know I, I get the research, but for for anybody who's not sure, who, who doesn't understand, what exactly do you guys do? Right. So here's the one thing that I only claim to know is the foundation of every every heavily regulated industry in the world, whether that's alcohol, tobacco, guns, pharmaceuticals. It, the basis of all of those industries is track and trace. If you buy alcohol, you know, there's a mark from the government on there. If you're buying right. cigarettes, there's a stamp on there. That's all tracking and tracing. The government wants to know, you know, how, where, when, and why, and how much um, that product was sold, where it's being sold, is the tax being paid, yada, yada, yada. We basically provide that level of software in detail to the legal cannabis industry. I think that's the simplest way to explain it. Yeah, no, I got that. Okay. So now, and, and you guys have a couple of different platforms that you're working about. I mean, you guys have the cannabis technology with Agrisoft, which is seed to sale. I mean, I'm on your website right now. So, and, and, and which, I mean, you know, I mean, everything's right here. This is the information. Yep. So anybody's out there, go to kind.financial. Um, and it's, it's, is it kind.financial? It is. It is. We'd like to be different. Just a little. Absolutely. It's like, I'm, I'm not an underscore guys. I run away from underscores. Um, so, so moving out to LA was a big deal, but, but how, I guess my question is, so where, at what point did you guys think, okay, how, how are we going to move this forward? I mean, are you guys, are you guys involved in any way with, I mean, obviously it's kind of financial with a financial aspect of this? Are yes. you guys loaning money, giving money? Are you guys doing any of that to these companies? So those are all really great questions. When we first launched the company, it was called Kind Banking. Because okay. my, my original thought was, okay, I'll either buy a bank or start a bank, and I'll sit between the industry and, 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 and the bank and, and, make, and get the cash out of stores you know, for multiple reasons. One for public safety. Uh, one for legitimacy, you know, marijuana as an industry is never going to be taken seriously until right. we can do our transactions just like you're selling widgets. And and really, I wake up every day so that, you know, I try to hope that I can make that happen. Okay. So okay. yes, um, we originally got, you know, we were originally called kind banking. Uh, I was originally going to, you know, buy or start a bank. And, and, you know, I thought the easiest way to get into that and to, and to reach the industry and learn the industry was by lending money and making investments. You know, very, very early on, we did one or two of those things. And then, you know, basically, you know, after you hire your legal team and, and, and really start doing the research and the work, you know, what I realized was 
you didn't need to own the bank. You didn't, you need, what, what, the way to solve the problem, in my own opinion and, and others, is to sit between the industry and the financial institutions by providing the data flow, information, security protocols, um, and compliance protocols that any financial institution, if they want to get into this industry, will feel comfortable with. So really, that's what we've done. So we have, as you said earlier, we have a, we have a seed to sale, which in other industries is really referred to as track and trace software. Um, we partnered with um, an ex-federal uh, uh, employee from FinCEN, which is a division of Treasury, which de- which deals in financial crimes. Wow. Um, uh, and we formed a banking company along with a uh, ex-banker and certified anti-money laundering specialist. And these gentlemen, uh, after they saw all the data that we were collecting in this seed to sale, came up with a number of ways to design compliance protocols for the banking industry. Wow. Um, so we have that company that we're a partner in called Link the Banking, linkthebanking.com. Um, and, you know, really, like I said, you know, I want the cash out of the stores. I want public safety not to be a concern anymore. I don't want dispensaries or grows getting robbed anymore. Um, so really what we're trying to come up with is um, what we call kind pay, which will be, you know, basically those who go to Starbucks and buy coffee and use their loyalty program, uh, kind pay would basically be that for the cannabis space. Or a better analogy would be, uh, you know, the, the PayPal for the cannabis industry. Um, and quite frankly, Brian, I'm really excited about this. This in 2017, we partnered with the with the largest privately owned bank in the country of Canada, and we are getting ready in development right now to bring that product to market uh, for the Canadian uh, legalization over the summer uh, in 2018. And we're also partnered with a United States federally chartered bank that we're working with the same kind of infrastructure to bring the same product to the United States, hopefully in 2007 in 2018. But you know, the political climate in America right now is kind of <laughs> nutso. So, yeah. um, you know, what I'm confident in telling you is, and, and your listeners is, uh, we'll be bringing kind pay to Canada, uh, I would say by uh, spring or, or summertime 2018. And it'll be the first payment system fully designed for the cannabis space. Wow. Um, and really, that that's what this is all about. This is all about legitimizing an industry that is already north of $10 billion. It's going to hit... 15 billion in the United States, it's gonna be $150 billion in the next 10 years globally. So it's a true industry, it creates jobs, it creates tax revenues for the states. I mean, Colorado's probably collected, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars over the last couple of years. Um, California, uh, which is obviously the world's sixth largest economy. Right. Just one full legalization is gonna have, California alone is going to be a $10 billion industry. So, you know, this is, this is a real thing. This isn't, right. you know, this isn't fake anymore. This but is real. Go ahead. How is it, how is it that on the, on the, like, I get the state level. I totally understand yep. it. Like, and, and, yep. and look, I, I travel a lot, you know, I've been in Washington, I've been in Colorado, I've been in California, sure. you know, I've sure. been to these States and I, and I've purchased, you know I mean? Huh? I, and, and the funny part is I, I've purchased on the easy one. Like I said, I landed, you know, I landed in LA and I automatically hit my app. Yep. And I had some stuff delivered. You know, I mean, I had a couple of tinctures, my, my, you know, I mean, like I had some stuff delivered, but how is it that on a fed, I understand the state level. How yeah. is it on a federal level that this is not being looked at? I, I just don't understand how it's, how it's, how it's legal in both. If it's legal in the state, but not legal in the federal, how is it that it is, is able to continue? Right. So for the last several years, 
there was a piece of federal guidance called the Cole Memo. And what that was is Assistant Attorney General Cole in 2013, in 2012 and in 2013 issued guidance to the federal attorney generals in every state that um, businesses adhering to state law in dealing with marijuana were not to be prosecuted. It wasn't a high <laughs> priority. Um, so that was the Obama administration's position. And really, at the end of the day, I think it was I think the way the Obama administration looked at it was, let's see this great experiment and how it goes and how these states regulate it and how they protect. Um, and then obviously uh, Obama, before he left office, um, you know, did not legalize uh, cannabis, which, you know, I think um, some people were surprised. I wasn't surprised about that. I think it's very difficult to take something that's been illegal since the 1920s and just say all of a sudden it's legalized. I think there has to be baby steps in between. But in saying right. that, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, Trump administration left that memo alone for the first basically year of the administration. Right. And then about two weeks ago, Jeff Sessions uh, rescinded that. Um, he didn't rescind it saying, go shut down the industry. He just rescinded it saying, basically, you know, we're going to leave this up to the state AGs to figure out what they want to do. Um, and since that, you know, um, pretty much every state attorney general has come out saying we're not going to do anything. So, you know, it, it really comes to this, Brian, as long as you're operating your business in a state legal way, you know, I think that the federal government doesn't have the resources or time. And quite frankly, there's bigger problems, the bigger fish to fry that I think it's going to, you know, stay the way it is for a very long time. In addition to that, um, there's an amendment attached to the current budget, which basically defunds the federal government or defunds DOJ, Department of Justice, from uh, going after these state compliant businesses and prosecuting really? them. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, it's called the Robacher Amendment. So it's all very interesting. And, you know, even though the federal government hasn't, you know, waved its magic wand to legalize it, um, they've done some things to help us and protect us. Okay. So how many states are legal right now? Uh, on medicinal marijuana, you have about 29. On recreational, you just, we just hit nine the other day when, uh, um, and this is actually big news. So yeah, uh, I think it was actually yesterday, the governor of Vermont signed uh, a recreational marijuana bill. It's the right. first time um, that a state government has legalized re recreational adult use marijuana. Uh, the other eight states, including California and Oregon and Washington and Colorado and Alaska and Washington, D.C., all did it through a ballot, ballot initiative. So this was the first state to politically legalize it. Wow. Yep. And I mean, do you, do you think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that, that it's a revenue base? As for opposed who? to for, for the states. I mean, you look at Colorado and, and, and the amount of money that they had. I mean, they were in the black the first year that it went. They were in the yeah. black. I mean, yeah. it was my just an automatic. My personal opinion is this. It started out um, legalizing a medicine. And I'll tell you this. When I lived back east. Yeah. And I heard about, quote unquote, medical marijuana. You know. I'm not going to lie to you. I kind of thought it was a gimmick. Uh, you know, I thought of that. Ah, okay. You know, the wild, the, the people out West are just different and this is how they're going to legitimize <laughs> this. I'll tell you the first day, week, month into this industry, a lot of the early adopters, a lot of the early entrepreneurs and businesses that were started were created by people who use it as medicine. And I will tell you firsthand it's medicine. I agree. So answering your question, I, I do think that the States looked at it and said, you know, if it's going to help kids with epilepsy, if it's going to give people a better quality of life, you know, as they're unfortunately too sick for other 
for other uh, other treatments that aren't working. Uh, you know, let's help our, our constituents and give them an alternative. Um, and then I think they saw the economics of it. And yes, I do think that the recreational adult use play is strictly economics. I, right. But there's more. As much as I do believe it's economics, it's also justice reform, reform, Brian. And if you really look at California and Oregon and what they have done, you know, by by allowing parole for nonviolent marijuana drug offenders that were in jail and incarcerated and getting them parole and wiping the, and expunging their, their records. I think there's a play to this, too, on on justice reform, which is something that's really, really important to me. And I've learned so much about being in this industry um, you know, there's a lot of people still in jail today for, you know, doing things that legal marijuana businesses do every day now for profit. So right. I think justice reform is a big, big, big part of this. And for, for, for any of us to be taken seriously in what we do every day, um, we have to think about that. So how far away are we on a, a federal level from, from them saying, okay, you know, we've kind of figured it out. And this is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it as a recreational. I mean, do you think that it'll ever be a federal law that it's recreational across the country? Wow. You know, if I knew that (laughs) answer, we'd be, you know, we'd be starting a business together. Right. Exactly. Um, Well, dude, I'll tell you what I, I I can only tell you what I think. I can only tell you what I, what what I honestly think. And, And I think I have a pretty good handle on this. And, um, you know, my answer is this, if, and when, Something happens at the federal level. I, I truly do believe it will be on the medicinal side. Right. Um, I don't think it's this administration. Um, but, you know, as yeah. crazy as, as this administration is, I guess the ultimate thing is who knows. Um, but, you know, the attorney general is against it. Um, you know, the, the pharma lobbies, the alcohol lobbies. There was an article out the other day that states that have uh, uh, legalized marijuana are seeing a 15% reduction in alcohol sales. So I think there's a lot of money behind this industry staying the way it is today. You know, leave it gray and let's see what happens. But, you know, at some point there has to be federal intervention and especially on the banking side of this and and on on the tax collection side of this. I mean, it's crazy to think about the fact that you know, I would, you know, I don't know what the exact number is or the exact percentage, but I would tell you that no more than 10% of the operating businesses in this industry have a bank account, which means that these states and the federal government, quite frankly, are getting paid their taxes in cash. So, yes. you know, I mean, that's, that's crazy to think about it. I mean, you're taking an industry that's been illegal, you're bringing it forward, you're saying, okay, pay your taxes, you know, pay your sales tax, yada, 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 but you know what? Pay me in cash. Right. And so that stigma is never going to go away. Um, there was look a, at Canada, look at Spain, look at all these global countries that are that are legalizing it at the federal level um, all over the world right now. And, you know, I think the United States might be left in left in the dust as far as, you know, true legalization goes. We're going to have to learn and we're going to take we're going to look at the rest of the world as far as how they're doing it. So, right. I don't know. It's a very interesting time. Uh, it's political. It's social. It's professional. I don't know how many other industries in the world check all those boxes. Well, there was a, there was a, I don't remember. I think it was Discovery did a show, and and it, I may just be making the the network up, sure. but there was a show that was done about uh, a young couple um, in Breckenridge, Colorado, who they were getting ready to go recreational, right? Like the day, it, it kind of led them up to. They were originally a medicinal portion in Breck. Um, okay. They had a store right on Main Street. Uh, it was okay. a good show. I mean, it was it, it, oddly enough, it was a good show, but it kind of showed the world what was actually happening. So they, they were medicinal. They were right on Main Street on a second floor above another business. Um, uh-huh. 
the day that they went recreational, they turned in, they physically walked their taxes into the local government office and paid $48,000 in cash. Yeah. You know, and the whole kind of lead up to that, which is funny because this was around the same time that I learned of what you guys were. Sure. And, and where, where this woman, this young girl who was like 25 or 26 is walking a, and it, obviously it was very dramatic through TV, sure. her yep. walking up to the front door, but she's got 48 grand <laughs> in her pocket and she's walking up and then they were, they were ultimately removed from main street. They were, they were taken off and they ended up on a little road called airport road, which really? is where they have. Yeah. They got kicked off of main street as a recreational marijuana by a vote by the town of Breckenridge where wow. they were removed from downtown. And, and, you know, the first day, cause they were a monopoly at that point because all the other, uh, marijuana places, all the other medicinal places were over on this airport road. And then they ultimately got involved in the, in the growing of it, um, and it, it was, it's a great show. And I, I, I'll be honest, Dave, I don't even know the name of the show at this point. It was so long ago, sure. but I just remember watching that. And I remember thinking how crazy it is that we are this poor girl. And she was a girl. She was a child was to, walking down the street with 48 grand in her pocket to go. It's and pay scary. It's I mean, scary. It's really, it's scary. And now and, the cool and, part is everybody smokes, you know, anybody who smokes weed, they're not out there robbing people. You know, that's, <laughs> that's we've at least got that going for us. You know, yeah, I, I, no. I, I sat in a dispensary in in, uh, in, California, in California a couple of years ago, and I remember sitting down with this guy, and he was super cool, and he just looked at me, and he's like, "Nobody's ever died from smoking weed, man." You know, Listen, it's and go yeah. ahead. Well, I mean, we can argue this all. I mean, not we, but people right. can argue this all day. The reality of it is, and I talk to my kids about this because that's one of the interesting parts of, of of being in the industry and moving to a liberal state and all this different kind of stuff. You know. You can argue this all day, but I'd much rather my have my kids consume cannabis 100%. than get drunk and get behind the Absolutely. wheel of a car. I mean, it's just no matter what we want to say, the naysayers, all these different things, the reality of this, it's not a gateway drug. It's already been proven it's not, not a gateway drug for a second. You know, it is substantially safer than alcohol. It's not going to tear your body apart. You're not going to get liver disease. You know, at the end of the day, if you overdose on marijuana, you go to bed. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's nonviolent. You know, I mean, like you just said, you know, when's the last time you saw someone, you know, consume marijuana and then, you know, go beat the shit out of somebody? It just doesn't happen. Exactly. It just doesn't happen. And so, these are conversations that, that I too, I mean, I, you know, I, look, Dave, I still live in the same place. I live in Balakimwood, man. Yeah. You know, it's not like I moved far. Okay. But, yeah. but I still have the conversations. My girls go to the same schools that you and I went to. Sure. And, you know, and, and the scary thing for me is that I hear about heroin, I hear about coke, I hear about, um, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, these made up drugs yeah. that these kids are putting together. And I sit down with my girls all the time from from 12 for Fiona, who's my who's the baby, who's 14 now. You know, I've had the conversations with them. Look, you're going to go to parties. And you're, you're going to it's going to be put in front of you. You know, my daughter came home a couple months ago and, you know, she drinks vodka. And I'm like, look, just don't get in a car. You know, like that's the world that you live in. And I said, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to smoke weed at some point. I said, if you got to put it up your nose, step away. If you have to right. use a needle, it doesn't make sense. If you've got to take a pill, it doesn't make sense, but you're going to smoke weed. You're going to try it. She came home. She didn't like it. Now, whether that's going to happen further, you know, then, then we'll, we'll deal with that at that point. But my whole world within the conversation with them is, you know, I can tell you not to smoke, but who am I to tell you not to smoke? 
right. so I smoke. And then for my girls, it's a big thing. And, and these are, these are conversations. I don't know about your parents. My parents didn't have conversations about this stuff. You know, yeah, my parents yeah. were don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. That was it. You know, you're, 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 you're screwed if you do. Yeah. And it was a gateway drug. That's the way that it was explained to us as kids. It was, it was. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that that's, we grew up in the eighties, Brian, you know, we were, yeah. we were at Balakinwood in the eighties under Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it was the war on say, drugs, man. It was the war on drugs and just say yeah. no. And, and look at all the money we spent and all the resources we spent and look what happened. You know, it was a complete failure. They'll admit that today. They do admit it today. Um, you know, the, the legal cannabis industry, you know, when I talk about this stuff on the political side, I, I call it addition through subtraction. And what I mean by that is this. We spend or we spend as a country $20 billion a year on the war on drugs. It's, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. $50 billion a year on the war on drugs, 20 of that on, on the war on marijuana. Right. So if, if we don't spend that $20 million and we legalize this in some manner – and the country is doing under full legalization at the federal level, the number is six, $60 million. So I'm, I'm sorry, $60 billion. So it's $60 billion of an industry. You know, what's the tax? You know, even if it's a 10% surcharge tax, Seriously. that's $6 billion. You just saved $20 billion. You know, right. that's, a, that, that's a big line item in the federal budget. So, you know, wh- why not legalize it? just like alcohol and cigarettes. I mean, what's, what's the difference? And the difference is it's been illegal for a long time. Pharma doesn't want it. Alcohol doesn't want it. So it's Not the enough. money on the sidelines. That, that's the, truly what this whole thing is. But alcohol is starting to make the move. I mean, uh, what's the name yes. of the company that owns Corona? Constellation. Yeah, Constellation. Constellation. Yep. So who did they buy? Who did they get involved with in Canada? They invested in a, one of the largest companies in Canada, Aurora. Which is who I. Made, I, made, I made a shitload of money off of Aurora in the last couple months, man. <laughs> I've done very well with Aurora. I'll tell you honestly. It makes total sense, though. When you think about it, I speak to because Canada, our neighbor to the north, is is already has federal medicinal and will have federal recreational this summer, right? Right. It's a totally different market. Think about this: if you are a current patient in Canada, you get a federal medical card. You never leave your house, Brian. You go to um, Aurora's website, for example, okay, you you register as a patient, they verify that you're a patient, you shop online, okay, and Canadian Post delivers your medicine to you. Wow. Think about that from an American I, model standpoint. I well, mean, I, how different is that? How much safer is that? These dispensaries that you hear about in Canada, they're not legal. There are no legal dispensaries. Now, there might be under the federal recreational plan and, and each province has the opportunity to make their own rules and regs, just like we do at the state levels here. But it's going to be, it's, you know, talk about Colorado and Washington being the great experiment. I can't wait to watch Canada. To me, yeah. the Canadian model is truly the great experiment. They're okay. already doing global importing and exporting of cannabis with Israel, with Spain, with, 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 with Germany. Sure. They're, they're light years ahead of us. And as far as research goes, I mean, I don't know, you know, how important research is to, to the, your audience, but Israel is the world leader in cannabis research, the world leader. And, you know, once again, that should be the United States. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I'll tell you what, you know, I joke around about the fact that I, I hopped off of a plane. So I, I did an event up in, in Sacramento a couple months ago sure. and I was with a friend of mine and uh, she said, oh, I got to go. My delivery's outside. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's from Chicago. She said, I got my, my medicinal license today yeah. and I'm having a delivery done. 
And I said, well, that's fucking weird. How, what do you mean? And I literally went onto a website and I had a conversation with a doctor. The guy's name is Dr. Frank. Oh, and, I've, been on, I've been on Dr. Frank's show before. Okay, well, I'm trying to get Dr. Frank on my show, but now he's ignoring me. So okay. I got to get through to him. But, but I'll, I'll, I had I'll a great... Help. I had a great conversation with him and we literally, we talked for 15 or 20 minutes and, you know, I explained to him my world and I'm a chef and I travel all the time and, you know, and all of that stuff. We had a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with him and, and then things kind of fell by the wayside, but I landed in LA last week. And as soon as I, I landed, I went onto a website and I was able to go through and I got a whole bunch of I got some tinctures. I got a couple of other things. My girlfriend has uh, uh, it has been has been beating cancer for the last couple of years, oh, and man. so I had I had gotten her a couple of tinctures and some other things. And but it, it literally, like you know, I, I I paid cash to the guy. The guy walks up to the door. He knocks on the door. He shakes my hand. Hey, my name's Nick. It's nice to meet you. I understand this is your first delivery. It was the the most. It was. I wanted to invite him in. You know, yeah. like I wanted to invite this guy in and come in, come in and sit down and just have a conversation with me. And it was just the nicest little transaction, Yeah. you know, and it, and it wasn't, and, and again, no, I, so I've purchased in, in Colorado, which was completely different. The, the world of buying in Colorado is different. I, I don't find it as, um, it wasn't as friendly. It was more okay. of a transaction than it was anything else. There wasn't as much, you know, like I, I was in, I was in Washington and we had a great conversation, right. uh, you know, where the guy said, Hey, so what's wrong? Like, what are you looking for? And I said, Oh, you know, I got this or I got that. Or, you know, sometimes I just like to sit down and, and he like sat with me and yeah. had a conversation that doesn't happen in a pharmacy that doesn't happen anywhere else. You can't just go online and do that. It was, it was, it was a neat, it was a neat experience for me. And a great experiment for me at the same time to have these different transactions of things that were going on. But, but it's neat to see that it's moving forward. I mean, California has been, has been progressive for a long time. And, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've loved being out there. I, I love California. I'm not going to lie, Dave. I, I may end up being a neighbor someday. I might cool. be a neighbor someday, but, um, but anyway, all right. So I'm super proud of you, man. I really am. I, I, you know, we, we've known each other for a long time and we may not have been in contact through all these years, but I'm super proud of you. And, and I remember that first day that I saw that and I was like, fuck yeah. Like that's <laughs> cool as shit, dude. So I'm, I, I love that, man. I'm real. I, I like to see progressive things happen with good people. So well, I, I appreciate man. that. I, I, and I'll tell you when I left Philadelphia, a lot of people didn't know what I was doing when I left. Um, right. And those who did know what I was doing when I left thought I was out of my fucking mind, right? They're like, how, is, how are you going to go solve the banking problem? And, <laughs> you, you know, my answer to everyone, and it still is today because I haven't solved it yet, Brian, is, you know, it's a collective effort. It's not one person. But if you have, if you have an idea, you got to believe in it. And, yeah. and that's all I've ever done in my life, whether it's been real estate or food or, or whatever venture I did, which is, you know, you never know. You just have yeah. to try. So for me, I mean, personally speaking to my family, this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to get on the ground floor, to get on the basement level of a real true growing international industry. And um, at, the, at the place of, of, of where I was at that point, I was... I, there was no way I wasn't going to at least try my ass off to, to get into it. But it really just is like, you know, it's a, it's a bunch, it's a great bunch of people. There's some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Um, there's some of the most passionate people I've ever met in my life. And I truly do believe if they, if, if somebody today went to the Amazon and <laughs> found this plant in the Amazon, they would pull it out of the ground, bring it back and say, I just found the miracle plant. 
I truly believe that. I agree. And and I think that our children will be better off for living in a world where they can make their own choices. I and I think that that's what life's about. Life's about making choices. And if you yeah. do it responsibly, there's no reason why you can't do it, you know, any way you want to do it. So, you know, it's an honor to be part of this industry. I take a lot of pride in it. And, and you know, listen, it's not easy. First of all, starting any business is, is hard and, and failure rate is tremendous. Starting, starting a business in an industry basically that's in the gray, I would believe is even harder. Um, but that, but then again, ambiguity equals opportunity, right? The grayer it is, the more opportunity there is. Sure. So, you know, it's going to be a big boy club here in about five years. I bet you, you watch. No, it's going to be big, man. It's going to be real big. So, and, and I, you know what I love, I mean, after, you know, my father had cancer and, uh, you know, watching the basics of, of, you know, with anxiety, with, uh, with chronic Absolutely. pain. I, I mean, I have a friend of mine who, you know, he, he was struck by lightning. And and all they kept doing to him was throwing pharma down his throat every single day. Every single day he was taking pill after pill after pill. And he finally sold everything and moved to Colorado. And he's like, that's it. I'm done. And now he leads a very, very productive life where he's not in a haze all because the when time. People, when people think of marijuana, they think of smoking a joint or a bong and getting right. stoned and whatever. In today's world, it's not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um you know, CBD, which is the true medicinal, uh, the true medicine in cannabis. Right. I mean, you can you can take CB, you know, high CBD, low THC, and you you won't even feel it. You won't even know what's going on in your body. You you won't right. know is what I'm trying to say. And uh, the children who take the extract, the children who take the oil and have their seizures or you know whatever that might be. I mean, you go tell them they can't do it. You know, well, they, they've tried everything else, and this everything. is what helps them. Who are we to tell them what what helps them and not helps them? It's the it's really yeah. one of those, it's, it, it's just, I find it to be when, a social movement turned into an industry. And I don't know how many times yeah. in, our, in our lifetime that's ever happened, if any time. So no. um, it's, it's fascinating. It's just, it's truly fascinating. I learn something new every single day, every day. Yeah. It's an amazing industry. I mean, and and the and and I agree with you with what you're saying in regards to the intelligence of the people that are behind it at this point. You know, I mean, I know a lot. I've met a lot of farmers, man. Oh, they're the, they're the smartest. The farmers and are, are you smartest. kidding me? It's they're amazing. Scientists. Yes, what yes. they're putting together is unbelievable. And you know, I mean, and it's as simple as on the medicinal level. You know, you just watch the videos of the kid who's having the epileptic seizure, and they Absolutely. take a CBD tincture and they rub it on the bottom of his feet, and the seizures go away. Yeah. From a plant. It's and if it, just and if that it, simple. And if they don't go away, you know, I've had, I, 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 you know, one of my most fortunate things I get to do is parents call me all the time, especially after the Microsoft article. I had parents call me from all over the world saying, I thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, maybe now my state or country will take this more seriously. And yeah. I, I've never in my life been exposed to stuff like that. That was amazing to me. And they would say to me, you know, maybe it doesn't cure my daughter or son. But if they go from a hundred a hundred seizures a month down to ten, I'm, it's a better I'm, quality I'm, of life. It's a better quality of life, and that's I think that's what that's what that's what it's all about. Well, it's funny. My old company was called CBD Solutions. There you go. What did it stand for? <laughs> uh, Chef Brian Duffy Solution. <laughs> that was what it was, and it's funny. You're a trendsetter. You didn't even know it. I had no idea, and now I still like. I mean, I still own that. And I still own that site, but it's kind of funny because I started to get, and I didn't realize it until about the last year, I started to get these phone calls. Hey, what, uh, what do you guys do? Oh, What's God. your, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? And then I went on to the the portal that I, that my web designer buys all my, cause I'm the type of guy that if I have an idea, I buy the site. 
Right. I buy the site. I hold on to that site so that I can coddle whatever it is or whatever business idea or opportunity that I have with it. And I have my hand in a lot of different stuff from farms. You know, I mean, I've, I've invested in a farm. I've, I've, you know, like I said, I've made a lot of money off of Aurora in the last couple of months. Um, and, uh, and, and it was funny because I started to get these weird phone calls and, you know, at first it was like, uh, you know, it was the first couple of times it was a total stoner on the other end. You know, uh-huh. like, hey, dude, like, what do you got? What do you got? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you sell? And I'm like, I'm a restaurant consultant, man. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. But so I went to this portal and it, it, it says like kind of what your site is worth. Okay. And my CBD site has been, has made a, sh- is worth a lot of money. There so go. I'm going to hold on well, to that for a little while, but. I think you should hold on to it and maybe look at know. doing uh, some food. You know, I listen. Well. I, I, I got involved. Uh, I talked to a guy named Warren. Bob, uh, <coughs> hold on, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah. <coughs> I talked to a guy named Warren Bobro, who is actually a cannabis mixologist, and he's a really awesome guy. Uh, and, and if you ever get a chance, go back and listen to the, to the podcast or I'll, I'll, shit, I'll connect you guys. He's awesome. And okay. from there, there's a company called Magic Butter. They make a machine. Yep. Yep, and yep. so, so they they're sending me a machine. So I'm actually going to play around with some stuff because I've got a couple of ideas for a couple things. And I'm and I've, I've been I've been invited to do some cannabis dinners where I to go out and do some cooking and play around with stuff. So and especially with Warren yeah. doing cocktails. So, um, uh, if they when they happen in L.A., I'll totally make sure that where now where are you in L.A.? I live. My office is in Hollywood, and I live in okay. an area called Laurel Canyon. Okay, because my brothers are in Santa Monica. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And call, well, um, Culver city in Santa Monica. So yeah, Culver city. Sure. What I was going to say to you is, um, you know, under the Pennsylvania law, whether you're, I'm not sure if, if you or your listeners are aware of this, um, under Pennsylvania law, there is no smoking of the plant. None. It's, it's, it's either edible or oil. So right. the opportunity for some hyper creative chefs and, and, uh, you know, product producers, I think would be, uh, uh it's, a, it's a pretty significant opportunity. Well, we should talk about that one as well. You know, it's been, it's decriminalized in Pennsylvania now. So it is a $35 fine for carrying and it's a $100 fine for smoking. I say this with a lot of pride. Philadelphia was the first city in the country, first large city in the country to actually do that. Yeah. And there was a, there was a guy, he was a PTS dude. He was an ex military and he actually walked into city hall into the courtyard there and uh, lit up a joint and paid the fine. Yep. That was like the big thing. And, and, and look, you know, I think there's 14 ailments that they have for it at this point in Philadelphia for the, for the uh, medicinal end of it. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. And I'm excited to see because Pennsylvania, no matter what, we're still a Quaker state. You know, we yes. just opened up liquor stores on Sunday, like what, eight years ago? <laughs> you Listen, know? I, think, I think the way Pennsylvania legalized, with, and I mean this, you know, honestly, I thought they did a very good job. It's a very conservative state, as you, as you I mentioned. I agree. Yeah. They had a lot of barriers of getting the law passed. And, you know, I, I use the analogy all the time. To me, the legalization of cannabis in Pennsylvania was very similar to when uh, uh, our ex-DA mayor and governor, Rendell, was, was going for, le- uh, for gambling, which was, you know, everybody Absolutely. wanted table games. Everybody wanted yeah. poker. Everyone wanted blackjack. But he knew, he knew all he could get up front was slot machines. Right. So you know what? He legalized slot machines. And then what happened? Now you have everything. Yeah. So listen, at some point after Pennsylvania has time, uh, uh, you know, starting their medicinal market and seeing how it goes and making sure it's compliant and making sure there's no problems, I'm sure they're going to go back to the legislator and try to get adult uh, adult uses, especially yeah. because, you know, 
Delaware is going to do it probably. Washington, D.C. has already done it. Maryland's going to look at it. So all their neighbors are looking at it. And quite frankly, the tax revenue is, is, is going to be very appealing to these states. It all, uh, unfortunately, life, all, you know, fiscal and money and all this stuff, always, you know, that's what attracts attention, unfortunately. Right. And when, when these East Coast states start seeing the revenue from this new industry, it's going to be hard not to pay attention to it. Now, what are you hearing about Atlantic City? Have you heard anything about them going recreational? Well, the state of New Jersey with the newly elected governor, he, he campaigned on recreational adult use. I believe even a couple of days ago or last week, he expanded the very, very small medical market in New Jersey. So you have a governor newly elected in the state of uh, uh, New Jersey that is uh, in favor of, of pushing the limits of cannabis. Because I know one of the big, you know, I mean, Atlantic City is a shit show at right. this point. It's really bad. Sure. I mean, I mean, once once Delaware uh, and Pennsylvania started to have their gambling, you know, yep. with what we're doing. I mean, we've got, we've got three casinos in, in Philadelphia at this point, yep. you know, and then you, as you're moving up the, up the border and you're moving up the line going into Northeastern Pennsylvania and whatnot, there's two more that are running up there, but Atlantic city just took a shit. You know I mean? They just literally went to hell. Um, it's not a pretty city anymore. I hate to say it. Atlantic city. Yep. I love you. I have a lot of fun when I go down there, but when, with revel closing and that was a $2 billion casino, somebody just bought it. But they were discussing going recreational because they're trying to find a new way to kind of make a little bit more fun out of it. And I don't know. I think it'd be incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult to have a city and not a state be different than the state law. From a legal standpoint, Brian, I have no idea how that would work. So I guess what I'm saying to you is, you know, I think they're going to I think it's going to be medicinal in Atlantic City until the state changes until the state legislature changes that. I'll take my magic butter and make my chocolate bars and go sell in Atlantic City. Yeah, you just can't cross the you can't cross the bridge though. No, <laughs> I'll sit in my car over the bridge. After paying, you know, it's like a seven dollar toll now. You know, think about this. Think about how weird this is, or how ironic this is. So, the president wants to build a wall to keep businesses in America. The president wants job expansion. The president wants uh, greater tax revenues. The marijuana industry checks all those boxes. I mean, Everyone. not only is cannabis grown in America, it's grown in the state of, that you're living because you can't take it over state lines. Right. Um, you can't go, even if it, even if, you know, let's make this up for a second. Let's say Washington state and Colorado shared a border. And even though they're both recreational, you can't cross a state line with, 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 uh, with the cannabis. So right. the reality of it is, it's a tax driver. It's a job creator. It's made in America. Um, you know, so, you know, even though Jeff Sessions is doing what Jeff Sessions is doing at the DOJ, you know, I, I just have a hard time believing that that, 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 that this government shuts anything down. Well, dude, I am so glad we had a chance to talk, man. I really am. Hey, me too. Um, a lot of fun. Great yeah, catching and- up. And I will, uh, I'm, I'm going to be in and out of LA. My, uh, I told you my partner's got a property out there in downtown. If you ever want to get your wife and go into just a super cool little speakeasy, nice little place. It's called Shushu baby. It's right in downtown LA. It's a beautiful nice. space. Um, and it's, it's totally female friendly. Um, you know, it's just a really nice conversation place. They do an amazing job. Um, they actually do burlesque happy hours, uh, which is really cool. Cause my buddy's wife is a burlesque dancer and, uh, she, she ends up going in and she does a happy hour out there. That's really neat, but it's a, it's a very classy joint. Um, and I like to use the word joint in that case. Cause that's exactly what go. it is. It's like, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. So if you ever get a chance, when I come back out, maybe we'll all run down and have some cocktails and I would love and, that. Uh, 
Yeah. I would yeah, love I'll that. Be back before you go, before you go, you made this all about me. I want to say to you, <laughs> I'm a fan. I watch you. My, my kids and I watch you on TV all the time when oh, I'm on the dude. Food Network. Um, I'm really proud of what you've accomplished and what you've done and, and made a national name for yourself. So um, it, it's just, you know, I, it just goes back to, Brian, if we all believe in what we believe in and we give everything our hardest, you know, maybe we'll be successful. And success is different. I'm not talking about monetary. I'm right. talking about impact. And, yeah. you know, so I just want to give my hat off to you. And it's been a, it's Thanks. been a lot of fun for me watching you change the world as well. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I've, I've made some amazing connections with, uh, with a lot of people that we grew up with over the last bunch of years, you know, when we grew up with them, yeah. you know, man, what a fucked up time in the eighties, <laughs> you know, like how fucking it's just such a weird world that we lived in. Like our, everything was in this weird world of flux. Like, you know, it was the eighties were a really weird time. And, uh, and I look back and I have conversations, you know, I mean, I was out with Sean Joyce a couple weeks ago and, yeah. uh, you know, I was hanging out with Joe McKelvey a couple weeks ago and, you know, sure. Tim O'Donnell, man, Tim O'Donnell, who is down in Florida. And uh, I don't know if you follow Tim at all on Facebook, he's rarely on, but he is an exotic plant specialist. Wow. He lives in Key West. Wow. Uh, and just like, and his knowledge of what he does is just unbelievable. I was having, I had drinks with Ed Norman. Yeah. You know, like these are all names that we grew up with and guys sure. that went to middle school and elementary school. And, yeah, you know, yeah. we all went in our different directions and some of us went in other ways. And, but it's really kind of cool to, to reconnect and have these conversations with people. And, and you and I had talked a couple minutes prior to, um, you know, like we're, we're dads, dude, how fucked up is that? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I don't know if you watch stranger things on uh, Netflix or not. Oh yeah. I mean, it's crazy to look at how we grew up, right? Yes, I mean, there were exactly. no cable. Te- My kids look at that. They're like, oh, dad, this is the olden days. I'm like, olden yeah. days? That was me. Like, I'm yes. the exact age of those kids at that yep. time. Exactly. And you know what? We got to play outside. All the and time. And it was a different upbringing. And I got to tell you, I don't know if it was better or worse. But I will say this, that I believe our kids are lazier than us. 100%. And the social skills are different. And wow. their appreciation of certain things are different. On the other hand, I think they're smarter than us. So there's good and bad with everything. I just find it amazing when you watch, you know, all these, you know, reboots of these 80s programs and, and lifestyle. And, you know, we all ended up pretty good with really no information and, yeah. you know, um, uh, being blinded for a lot of, for, on a lot of topics, quite frankly. So yeah. I, it is crazy to watch it all play out in television in front of your face today. Well, I mean, you know, I look at my girls and, and I, I say to them all the time, you guys have it harder than we ever did. Oh yeah. But at the same time, it's much easier for you guys. Everything is right at your fingertips. You know, dad, I need, I need, I need shampoo. I'm like, well, put it on the Amazon list. Right. And the next time I order <laughs> Amazon, I'll do it. Now, granted, I went to the, to the, I went to Rite Aid in Ardmore today and bought shampoo because right, my right, daughter right. took mine last night. But, but the instantaneous oh, yeah. reactions, you know, I feel bad for these kids. You know, we, we wore a, ba- a fucked up pair of shoes to school or something. And, and, you know, they kind of made funny a little bit behind your back or something, but now it's like, they beat you up. Well, you whether know? they beat you up or not, they'll post it on social media and, the, and, the, and, and the bullying, the social bully. I mean, yeah. it's just, I agree with you. I think it's much harder growing up today than it was for us. Um, I don't know how I would grow up in a world where everything I did was recorded or possibly recorded. Yeah. Um, 
And on the other hand, you're judged so much. It's just, it's a different world and I'm not, I'm not envious of them. I can tell you that much. I mean, I, I look at my girls and, and I've, I'm, I'm a very open father, you know, I'm a single dad, um, been divorced for uh, 10 years, whatever. And, and my ex-wife, like we both, we, we both grew up in the eighties. You know, my ex-wife went to Haverford and you we, go. you know, I mean, so she was an Ardmore girl and, but, but I, like I, I look at my girls now and, and I, I have to pull them back a lot of times. I'm like, Hey, do me a favor. That kid that you're talking about at dinner who, who had a fucked up pair of shoes on, like she's not here. Don't talk about her. You know, we try to pull, we pull positivity moments out of our day um, yeah. where we stop dealing with the bullshit of negative attitudes and all that. And I say to my girls all the time, we do a thing at the end of the day called roses and thorns where we talk about our roses for the day and what our thorns were for the day. Yeah. Um, and it's funny to hear my girls cause they say, and dad, you can't use the same one that you always do, which is that you're glad that we're here with you. Like right. you have to come up with your own stuff anymore. Like, you know, and as they get older, it's kind of funny to listen to the way that roses and thorns have changed from, you know, I'm really glad that I got to play with Barbies today to I'm really happy that so-and-so did really well in school. Yep. You know, like these are the things that I start to hear now. So, um, I don't know. It's, I still can't believe I'm a father, man. Hey, I can't, I can't believe, you know, I, I'm not going to say how old we are on, on, on the podcast, but you know, well, being our mid forties hedging towards yeah. the next plateau. I mean, I've never felt better. I've never felt younger. I, yeah. you know, I, when I moved out here, I, I weighed, you know, 50 pounds more than I weigh today. And, a whole different world out there. A whole different. Yeah. It's a lifestyle change. And sometimes you need to shock your system, that, which is what we did. But I don't know, man. I, I hope if anyone listening gets anything from what we're talking about is hope, dream and go do it. Go do it. And Seriously. Go do it. Like, you know, I was talking to uh, an advisor of mine. And he's like an entrepreneur guy. Like that's what he does. He loves entrepreneurs, helps entrepreneurs, yada, yada, yada. And he goes, I give these speeches at universities wherever I go. And everyone walks up to me like, you know, I have this great idea. What do I do? And he's just like, go do it. Go do it. And a lot of people don't know what that means. And I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm sure you yeah. are too. But all it means is to me, if you feel it in your bones and you feel it in your gut, then you're passionate about it. And if you're passionate about it, go do it. Just it's, go I, do it. I, uh, I, I, at the age of 45, Dave, when I was 45 years old, I got, I got inducted into the Tau Kappa Epsilon fraternity okay. as an honorary member. I was one of 190 honorary inductees in the same world as Reagan uh, and uh, a whole bunch of other really cool people. To me, I laugh about that because I went down thinking that I was going to be drinking beers with a whole bunch of frat kids. Next thing you know, I've got my hand on a skull and a Bible and a sword in a room full of 600 people with lights turned down and candles in front of me. Um, and I have, uh, and I speak to these guys about leadership and I talk to them about different things to do and they're kids, man. I mean, they're, they're 19, 20, 21 year old kids. And I say it all the time, go and do it. Just yeah. go do it. It's what, you know, what's, it's the same thing that I say when I, when I do events and stuff like that, I always, I always ask for stuff. And I say at the beginning of it, Hey, if I don't ask, it's a hundred percent chance that I'm going to get a no. So I'm going to ask for this. Oh. Um, and you know, that's, so, that's my motto. Ask anyone who knows me, you know, seriously. You, you, my, one of my favorite things is when someone says no to me, cause then I'm challenged and I have to figure yes. out a way to get a yes. And, and, yeah. um, and I'll tell you this, you know, the rule in my house with my children, I don't care what they do. If they want to fly a kite or they want to, you know, whatever they want to do, I don't care what they do as long as they do it and do it to the best of the ability and give it all they have and try. Yeah. That's all I care. Just keep about. trying. Keep trying. 
I said, my daughter, who, when I was telling you earlier, my daughter, uh, when she went into high school, I said, look, you need to do a sport and you have to do two or two, at least two, if not three clubs. I want you to just get into it. You have four years in high school to get as much out of it as you can. And I made my own mistakes in high school. You know, there were things that I did in high school that I'm not, you know, that I questioned, but it made me who I am today. So I'm of cool with that. Yep. But, and I remember her saying, and I remember her saying, well, I don't know what sport. I'm not really athletic. And she played field hockey and she wasn't happy with it. And I said, I said, what about crew? Let's talk about crew. And, uh, I said, I want you to give it two weeks. You have to give it two weeks, get in there, do it. She came home her first day and she's like, I, I love this. I can't believe that. I can't believe I didn't know about this before. And yeah. she was just invited into the uh, under-19 national uh, training camp. Oh, um, incredible. Yeah. Like, I mean, the kid, like I said, you know, she gets off the river and she wants to know if I heard her. And I'm yeah. like, baby, I heard you two miles down the river, lady. I know exactly yeah. where you are all the time. But, yeah. Well, dude, I am so glad that we talked. And uh, I will be out there in a couple of weeks. And we're going to go out and have some drinks. Absolutely. Looking forward to seeing you. And thank you for having me. There we go, everybody. That is uh, David Denenberg from Kind Financial. Um, you know, this little podcast that I do is uh, is a lot of fun to me, um, and it's an opportunity for me to get to have conversations with people uh, that I normally wouldn't have, but also at the same time, it's an opportunity for me to have conversations with people um, who I haven't talked to in a really long time. And like I said, by um, you know, Facebook is 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 a is an is an evil at some points with the way that it does things, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but. I saw that post uh, that David had put up there that first time about Microsoft endorsing them and what they did. And, and it, it kind of made me feel good. It made me feel really good that people that I know are doing just fucking awesome stuff and people that are doing things that are benefiting others and, um, and helping people to do things. And this is, you know, we're in a weird kind of flux with world right now with government and all of the new things that are coming around and technology and everything that's happening around us. But but we we have visionaries like David, you know, I mean, and, and it's funny because Dave and I were talking a little bit earlier and he said, this is going to sound really weird, but uh, sometimes I'm a little bit ahead of myself with stuff. And I think that Kind Financial is one of those things that's a, that's that's ahead of its time. And it's good to watch um, that process of what he's doing grow. So David Denenberg, thank you so much for that. Everybody do me a favor. You can follow him. Um, follow Kind Financial. Go and check it out. Um, see what it's about and see what they do. Um, I think David gave a great amount of information on that on here. Um, this is uh, the end. This is a long one, man. This is an hour and a half. But uh, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to talk to him. This was a totally different vibe um, than our normal shows about what we do. We didn't even get into travel or or any of that stuff. But, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm really happy after this one. So uh, do me a favor. Check out the people that I absolutely love. I, 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 go and talk to Maggie Gagliardi. She's the one who does all of our illustrations. You'll see these coming out on a weekly basis. Uh, uh, <coughs> sorry, radioinfluence.com. They're the producers for this show that are just, you guys don't hear the stuff that we talk about before we get on air, but I love these boys. Jerry and Jason are just so much fun to work with and um, they do an amazing job. And um, you know, if you guys have a really good idea for a podcast or something to do out there, I highly suggest you come and talk to these guys because they're very, very good at what they do. Um, radio guys that, that saw a need uh, for this kind of niche uh, world that we live in. So 
go and talk to them. Uh, also thank, uh, Michelle out there at techno solutions. She's amazing for what she does for all of us. Uh, new show that's coming out. The series is bar crashers. I want you guys to check it out. Um, go to Instagram and Twitter. Don't even worry about me. Go and check that out. Um, YouTube, go check out the videos that we've been posting about it. Um, also all I'm going to say is this couple little things, hashtag FNB only. Um, it's a new little world that we're living in. That's going to be pretty awesome. I really want you guys to get involved in that as well. Um, and uh, go forward, man. Have some fun and uh, just fucking be nice to people. See you guys. You didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B R I D U F F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. New England's offense going up against Philadelphia's defense. The Patriots are really near the top in any category in which you break down film offensively. Most important is an overall offensive efficiency. They're, they're best in the league in passing efficiency and uh, third in rushing efficiency. Uh, they're first in points per drive and yards per drive. They're third in red zone efficiency. They're second in explosive plays. Uh, and they're going to move the football. You know, so when you look at this particular matchup, how are the Eagles, Jim Swartz, going to build this game plan? I think what you're going to see is Swartz bring a lot of pressure with his front four. I think that they will play a lot more coverage. I think they're going to force Brady to hold the ball a tad longer. I think they're going to try to reroute those receivers off the line of scrimmage. If they can do that, it's going to be pivotal. Chris Landry brings you Landry football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.